I'm going to tell you about Namarali now. Namarali came from another place. He was originally an Oregon person, but he came towards the coast looking for a new home. It was after the great flood. The law was here before he came, but he offered a new idea about how to live in this country. He was a smart person who persuaded the people to follow his new ideas. But eventually, Amarale got into trouble. He took the wrong woman. So the people gathered, painted themselves in Oka, and they had a big battle, a huge battle. I want you to think back to the opening ceremony of the Sydney Olympics in 2000. Rising high into the air was a giant spirit creature that many thought looked like an alien wearing a space helmet. He had a golden white head and large black eyes and the head was surrounded in a crown. The creature's name was Namarari and now a film tells the story of both the creation spirit and the creator of its image a remarkable artist who sadly passed away recently. We have permission to call him D.W. and he co-produced the film alongside Tim Mamry, who as well as being co-producer, is the director and editor of the film. And Tim joins us from our studios in Perth. Tim, welcome to our little wireless program. Can we begin by you painting a portrait of the late D.W.? Tell us his story. D.W. was a, um, a very, very important person for his community. Uh, he was an, an artist and, and he was a leader, a very, very strong leader, but he was a, he was a very, he was a quiet person and he, he would go about leading in a very dignified and quiet way. You weren't quite sure how things would, were going to go with him, but he always found a way of, of making things happen. And he was a very patient person as well. Yeah. I understand he was born on a mission in a remote uh, part of Kimberley in, what, 1947? Yeah, yeah. So he was born on or just outside um, Kunmanya, which is a, was a Presbyterian mission that set up in the Wororan homelands in the, originally in, in 1910 or somewhere like that. But by the time he was born, it, was, it had moved, and it was, but it was still in the Wororan homelands, and, and it collected the Wororan people to it. So in the 60s, the Wororan people and others were moved off their lands by the government and taken far away to a community near Derby. They were, yes. They were, they were first moved to a, another site on the coast called Watchalum, but that didn't turn out to be um, a good manoeuvre. Then they were moved all the way down to Derby, which was the administrative capital, if you like, of, of the West Kimberley, and they were moved to a place called Old Moenjum, and then eventually they were moved yet again to a place um, not far away from there, still just on the outskirts of Derby, called Moenjum now, and that's where they are today. Now, after his uh, father's death in 1979, D.W. takes responsibility for the land and for passing on the traditions. 
Yes, he inherits that directly from his father. But he didn't... Painting was really the tool with which he kind of rose to prominence. And he didn't start painting until he was 50. But he was an absolute natural. And he kind of collectively, they took the world by storm in the late 90s. And that kind of led to the Olympics in 2000. I understand his works were, have been featured on the sales of the Opera House and uh, he also won the Red Ochre Award, which has gone to, well, David Gulpilil, Archie Roach and uh, Uncle Jack Charles. He's, a, he's, he's right up there. He's a, he's, a, he's a proper serious Aboriginal leader within this country. But like I said, he was a, he was a quiet person. He, he was... He went about his, he, uh, you know, there's no histrionics with DW. He just went quietly about his mission. I want you to tell us about the land there. At the moment, I'm looking at the rock formations on the beach. Absolutely extraordinary and significant to the story. Absolutely. That's a, a place called Langy. That coast gets 10 metres, 9 metres to 10 metres of water in and out twice a day. So the rock formations that form the start of, of Namarali's story for bits of the day are completely covered by water. So the story actually is revealed naturally as the tide recedes. It's, it's an amazing place, it really is. And those, those stones are Wanginas and that, that is the field of a, of a massive battle as DW described in that opening bit. Um, and that's, that's Namarali's story starts, begins there. Where inland are the caves where the Wanjana creation spirits are depicted, uh, Tim? They're, they're all through the Kimberley, so right on the coast and then right the way through. So there are three language groups, two on the coast and then one inland. So they are, yeah, they're on, on river courses, um, and by, by water pools and, yeah, on, on the coast, all through that country. There would be thousands and thousands of, of rock sites through the Wanjina people's countries. So the Wara believe that the great creative spirit was buried in the roof of a cave. Yeah, Langi is where the story starts, but ultimately the story leads you to a cave, which is probably five kilometres inland from that beach site and it's the cave itself is is amazing. The first time I saw it, I couldn't believe that it was a natural forming object. It, it, it looks and feels like it's been built by someone. It, it's like an Athenian temple almost. It's, it's the, the roof runs probably 10 metres and it's, and it's at, you know, varies between 2 metres to 1.8 metres above the ground. And on the roof of, of that cave is this four-metre-long um, image, uh, originally completely white with a, with a red ochre outline. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's Namorali. That's where Namorali lives. And he is seen as the biggest boss, like a sort of president. Absolutely. DW described him as, yeah, like, like a prime minister. He actually said to me that he, he was... Um, he had the responsibility for all the portfolios that other Wanjinas would hold. That's how he described it. So he, yeah, yeah, he's the, he's the, the, the main man for the Wurrung people. And DW's dad, Sam, was the last initiated custodian of the caves. 
Yes, he he was. He passed in the seventies, and there's another. He there's a film that um, called Lilai, which which is a very similar film to the film that I made, in which Sam walks with his family into Namorali's cave, and you get to see Namorali's cave from the seventies. Um, so it's like an Old Testament and a New Testament, the two films. Now, how did you get involved with the story, Tim? I just happened to be in the community filming a health video in 2000, probably in June of 2000. And at the end of that trip, we were told that DW was about to go to Sydney and that one of his wanderers would appear at the opening ceremony of the Olympics. And so I met with, with DW and Mark Norville, who was the art facilitator um, at Mondrian at the time, and, and it also came out that on the back of Namorali being at the Olympics, DW really wanted to visit the cave Namorali, and that was enough for me. As soon as I heard that they'd be going to Sydney, Namorali would go to Sydney, and then there'd be this trip up to the cave Namorali, and that he would refresh the cave Namorali. Then, then I was like, please let me follow with a camera. I'll meet you in Sydney. <laughs> and uh, we can go from there. Now, the film shows DW organising the community to travel to the site and help perform the task. Absolutely. So um, once we leave Mongem and Derby and, and take a, a two-day boat trip 250 k's odd north, we do that with his family. There are at least 20 people over two boats and we camped on the coast with those family groups for, I think we were up there for five days. In the film, there's, we're, on the, we're on the coast for three days. But, yeah, there was a lot, of, a lot of people, men, women and children, came on the trip. Now, his project is to replenish, renew, revive this great tradition by keeping, well, keeping the spirits alive and repainting it is crucial. Absolutely. It's called, they refer to it as refreshing. So they're not recreating him in a sense. They are, they are just making him bright. That's what they always said. A bright wanginer is a happy wanginer. So that, that is their mission. The other mission is also to actually re-establish that ceremonial practice of refreshing wanginers because the hundreds of wanginers in the country are, are sitting there without their people refreshing them. Pre, pre-contact during the dry, in the middle of the year, all of these cave sites would be visited and they would all be refreshed by the owners of those cave sites. Now, you've got access to the film you mentioned before of Father Sam back in 72 and you weave that into yours. I do. In fact, my film really potentially could be called Lilai 2. Because that, that original film is called Lilai. Lilai is, is, is creation time. That's what that word means. So really I'm, I've made Lilai Part 2. So, yeah, I was very lucky to be able to have access to that, to that film made by Michael Edels in 1972. There is a dramatic difference, and that is this time women are included. Women were at the forefront of that painting renaissance that happened in the late 90s. Um, yeah, some of the some of the most amazing paintings that came out of that period are, are by women, and, and so I don't know that there was ever a question. There would have been a question actually as to whether women could go on the trip and visit caves, but 
in terms of their agency as painters and in terms of um, DW's mission in spreading the word, really he needed as many as many advocates as possible. So, the but it, ha- but it has to be pointed out that women and children had in the past been excluded as it was deemed, well, secret men's business. Absolutely, yeah. Women, in the film, you, you actually hear from a woman who is, she's frightened about what's about to happen. She's not, she, she, she knows that history. She knows that, that um, previously women were absolutely not allowed to go to these sites. So she's happy to go, but she's also nervous because she knows that it's a place that, that her ancestors, her, her female ancestors, would never have been able to access. But because of the urgency, well, of cultural survival, women and children needed to be included. Absolutely. And for that mission of, of re-establishing ceremony, you want to spread that word as far as you can. As he, uh, DW wanted as many faces in this film from the community as possible because this becomes almost like a text text for them as to, to how you go about re- recreating ceremony around Wanjina Caves. It's quite moving when DW, well, he talks about his ambition. He says he wants the right to be ourselves in our own country. Yeah, yeah, he does. That, uh, that, that line is something that has always s- stuck with me, actually. Because you, if you think about reconciliation, you, you, reconciliation involves both sides yielding to, to, have a, to have a centre in which the mutual difference can be understood. And, the, and the, in that statement, that's kind of what he's suggesting doesn't happen. That He, he says that Western culture can give you lots of things, but it won't let you be who you are. And it's, to me, that's a really heartbreaking statement. But, but that's, what this, that's what his mission is actually all about, reclaiming what they are via ceremony. He must have been so proud to, to bring this empower, overwhelmingly powerful image to the world at the Olympic opening. Oh, absolutely, he was. He was in, he was in tears in the stands actually, um, and he got straight on the phone um, once Namorelli had descended and spoke to people back in the community and everyone was watching it. And to this day, it's still, you know, it's still talked about. It was, it's, it was a watershed moment for that community. Now, you first showed the film in Derby to the, in the Kimberleys to the community who were removed from their traditional lands. Tim, how was it received? Um, they loved it. Yeah, so we played, we um, built a screen and bought a projector and screened it in the Derby Civic Centre and there were over 200 people there and key community members and at the end we arranged for DW to stand and, and be cheered. So we had a standing ovation at the end of it and, yeah, he was, he was visibly moved and I was greatly relieved that he had finally seen this project come to fruition. And now the art centre of the community has opened a new museum dedicated to preserving this culture. It has, yep. Um, and Namorali played at the opening of that museum as well. So, yeah, the, there's, there's loads happening at, at Moenjum in terms of making sure that this tradition is, is kindled and, and moves forward in, in, a, in a meaningful way. 
Tim, we recently talked to the uh, Mutajuga people of the Kimberleys about mining in their region and the new gas pipelines threatening their rock art. Having seen the significance of the art to the Aboriginal people, how do you feel when when you hear these stories? I mean, one is short-term gain and another is our collective memory, in a sense. I mean... Yes, so I, I yeah, very, very short-sighted to to put you know natural resources ahead of any sort of cultural heritage within this country. Absolutely, Tim. Congratulations on what you've achieved. I've been talking to Tim Mamori, director, editor, and co-producer of Namarari, which is screening on Saturday, the fifteenth of October in Sydney as a part of the Antenna Film Festival, and then on Thursday, the 20th of October, as a part of the Fremantle Design Week in, yes, Fremantle. Stream any ABC radio station live and on the go. Discover new podcasts, music and audiobooks, all free on the ABC Listen app.